Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 39 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Job 25 through Job 42. Today will bring us to the end of Job. Beginning with chapter 25, it's just six verses recording brief comments by Bildad. His line of questioning is simple. How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of a woman be pure? In chapter 26, Job retorts, How you have helped the powerless, how you have saved the arm that is feeble. Then Job observes the illimitable power of God with phrases like, and I quote, The realm of the dead is naked before God, and he suspends the earth over nothing. He ends this reflection with these probing words. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Chapter 27 records Job's final words to his friends. Job begins by asserting his integrity and his determination to maintain it, even though God has denied him justice. Then he addresses the inevitable fate of the wicked expressing his wish that his enemies be treated as the wicked are. In these lines, Job asserts of the wicked. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. Chapter 28 is an interlude of sorts, processing the question, and I quote, Where can wisdom be found? The chapter begins by using mining as an illustration of man's search for buried treasure, and then admits that wisdom is not found in mines or in the sea, and that, and I quote it, wisdom slash understanding, cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. Where then does wisdom come from? And the answer God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. And then ends with these words. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Chapter 29 finds Job expressing his longing for the good old days when he was in his prime and, and I quote, God's intimate friendship blessed his house, and his children were with him. In fact, the entire chapter is a poetic longing for what once was, a deep grief over what's been lost. Job recalls a time when he was a well-respected elder in the public square, a time when everyone spoke well of him. He also recalled how he once cared for the needy and dealt with injustice. Job reminisces how he used to think, and I quote, my glory will not fade. The bow will be ever new in my hand. He remembers, too, once being a beloved leader. And then in chapter 30, his thoughts turn. And now I quote, But now they mock me, men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. This base and excuse me, this base and nameless brood, they were driven out of the land. And now those young men mock me in song. I have become a byword among them. What a heartbreaking turn for Job. Instead of the joy and accolades once relished his, and I quote, dignity is driven away as by the wind. And now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me.
And when he cries out to God, no answer. Instead, it seems that God has attacked him and thrown him in the mud. Ultimately, he fears to bring him to the grave. And now I quote, Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man. Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. The chapter ends with these words, My lyre is tuned to mourning, and my pipe to the sound of wailing. Chapter 31, by the way, one that you should definitely read, is Job's defense of his integrity. In the beginning lines, he queries, Does he not see my ways and count my every step? The rest of the chapter is Job essentially inviting God to weigh his actions and judge him accordingly. Here's an example. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. Near the end of the chapter are these parenthetical lines. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sigh now, I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. Chapter 32 begins. These three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. In their place, however, a young man who's been waiting for his moment opens his mouth to challenge Job. He's named Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzzite. And I quote him speaking now, I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know, for I am full of words and the spirit within me compels me. Chapter 33 continues his speech, which is quite long. In fact, you'll find out it spans several chapters. The young Elihu boldly asserts his right to speak and challenge Job as an equal. He scolds Job for his claim that God has misjudged him. And I quote, I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. He then follows this up by arguing that God uses pain and suffering to get a person's attention and that it works if there's an angel by their side to guide them and intercede with God. The chapter ends with Elihu urging Job, Pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. So as you'll see in chapter 34, Elihu has a lot to say. Here are some of the most telling lines revealing the theme of this chapter. And I quote, He, that is God, repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. And a little later, Oh, that Job might be tested to the utmost for answering like a wicked man. To his sin he adds rebellion. Scornfully he claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. In so many words, Job's guilty. His despicable condition proves it. Chapter 35, and it's more from Elihu. I'll simply share the opening and closing lines, which represent the chapter well. Here's the opening. Do you think this is just? You say, I am in the right, not God. And the closing lines? How much less then will he listen when you say that you do not see him, that your case is before him and you must wait for him? And further, that his anger never punishes and he does not take the least notice of wickedness. So Job opens his mouth with empty talk, 
Without knowledge, he multiplies words. Chapter 36, and yes, it's more from the young Elihu. Realizing he's going on, he says, and I quote, Bear with me a little longer, and I will show you that there is more to be said in God's behalf. And then this, be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. Elihu makes his position clear, and I quote again, If they, that is people, obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. Elihu affirms that God is mighty, above human understanding, and that he is wooing Job from the jaws of distress. However, Job is laden with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice have taken hold of him. In chapter 37, Elihu continues to elucidate God's might. And I quote, He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. He urges Job, Consider God's greatness, then challenges. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? And a little while later, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Chapter 38, finally Elihu is finished. Now the voice we've been waiting for, God's. And it comes from the storm. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. This chapter is a must read. It's a chapter with God interrogating Job and perhaps his friends with questions like, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation?" Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? And now chapter 39, another important read. It continues God's line of probing questions. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? And then chapter 40, another one again, you should read it, opens with a direct challenge from God. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. And God answers him again from the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? God then challenges Job. Do you have an arm like God's? Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Bury them all in the dust together. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Fascinatingly, this chapter also references behemoth with a tail that sways like a cedar 
with bones like bronze and limbs like rods of iron. Chapter 41 continues with an entire chapter devoted to Leviathan. It's an interesting chapter to read as well. And this Leviathan is a strange, terrifying creature having a double coat of armor and fearsome teeth. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. The chapter ends. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Chapter 30, excuse me, chapter 42, the final chapter, is also a must read. And Job replies, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The epilogue records that God is not happy with Job's friends, addressing Eliphaz directly and instructing Job to pray for them because of their folly, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. After Job had prayed for his friends, and I'm quoting, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. He also received more children. Further, he is again restored to prominence and wealth as his friends and family return to comfort and console him. Finally, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. The book ends, and I'm quoting now, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. And that's all for today.